great privilege to be here with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jim Collins and I'm the Tasmania State Director for a Christian advocacy organisation, Family Voice Australia. Family Voice um, essentially is an advocacy organisation and we speak into society. So we work with churches, we work with Christians like yourselves to inform, equip and mobilise Christians to be actively agents of salt and light. And the second thing that we do is work with politicians. So we don't go in and Bible po bash politicians, although some people think we do. We go in and provide persuasive, carefully researched social and scientific evidence to help them make wise policy decisions, to help shape the future of Australia. Now, I've been asked to talk about, uh, give you a bit of a political update on some of the issues that are going on in Australia at the moment. Who knows that today there's actually an election in um, Pembroke, which is the upper house um, um, electorate just over the river, and it looks like, it looks according to Twitter, it looks like Doug Chipman, who's the Clarence Mayor, might be um, getting voted into the upper house to replace um, Vanessa there, who's um, very unfortunately sick with cancer. He holds conservative views. So I wanted to tell you that because it's good news. It's good news because he believes in marriage. It's good news because on the survey that I've seen, he, he believes in um, things that are shaped from a godly perspective. So that's potential good news. I could tell you about the debate that's going on currently in Victoria, where they're looking at legalising voluntary assisted dying, which is essentially euthanasia, legalising medical killing just over the Bass Strait. And I, I, the, the bad news is that it looks like that might get through. That will, it's been debated for the last couple of days, and that could well become law next week. But I know from having spoken to a few of you, and I, I know what we're all like, we all want to know, don't we, what on earth is going to happen with the postal plebiscite? What is going to happen with the future of marriage in Australia? People have been asking me, um, obviously we keep our finger on the pulse, being involved in um, promoting God's goodness and his plan for marriage. So will it be yes or no? Yes or no? Well, in 11 days from now, we will know. But I'm not going to let you know what I think until the end, so hopefully it will keep you listening. But I, I want to, I thought it was important also to give you a bit of context, a bit of political context. We're talking about the Reformation. We're talking about these long-term, deeply important truths that have formed Western society. I think we need to think more deeply about what is actually happening in our culture at the moment, that we would even be debating whether two men should be married. How on earth has the, have these things happened? So yes or no, whether it's a yes or a no, we're on the cusp of a huge, widespread social change. Whether it's yes or no, God's created norms, his design for life, the value of human life, and the simple biological realities that even my young kids can grasp and understand are under threat. Men and women. Male and female. Mummies and daddies. 
boys and girls, life and death. These issues, these utterly self-evident truths, literally, only to bath your own children to see that there's big differences, they're being challenged. So whatever happens, yes or no, we face nothing less than an anti-reformation, a social and sexual pagan revolution that is taking hold of our society. And I, I know this is going to sound like I'm whipping up a storm. I know this is going to sound potentially like scaremongering. And I know that many of you know these things. But when we're here celebrating the great victories, the great um, changes that have been wrought by the Reformation, we have to look at our context, don't we? Because I believe our society is begging, begging for a new Reformation. We're being challenged by a cultural view that rejects God and rejects the Bible. That doesn't shock any of you. But the deeply woven truths that we've, we've heard about today, helpfully, and the contrast with countries that are under Sharia law, that we currently enjoy these great freedoms, this is under challenge. And we know that the Bible framed our Aussie freedoms that we actually enjoy today. In fact, I was reading the newspaper this morning, I don't know if any of you saw The Australian, and there's a fantastic long article by a guy called Dyson Hayden, who's a former High Court judge. And this might just give us a bit of an inkling as to what's going on. I thought I'd just take a couple of quotes from his article, which you can read in the newspaper or grab it online if you can. The, and he starts like this. He says, the opening words of the Imperial Act that brought our Constitution into being, he means the, the Act of Parliament, when, when we became federated as a nation, that brought our Constitution into being are... Whereas the people of New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, Queensland and Tasmania, humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God, have agreed to unite in one indissoluble federal commonwealth under the Crown. Not the most exciting piece of legislation or, or quote that you may have ever heard, but listen to what he says. Patrick McMahon Glynn is the author of that reference to the humble reliance on the blessing of Almighty God. Words that reflected what the elite of the Federation generation saw as fundamental, as fundamental. But they don't reflect what the modern elites now think. The public voices of modern elites are not humble. They conceive themselves to have entitlements and rights, not blessings. And they don't feel any gratitude to Almighty God for their entitlements and rights. Instead, they desire to exclude any role for religion in the Australian public discussion. And perhaps any role for religion at all in any sphere, public or private. Remember, these are the words of a former High Court judge. This isn't some opinion piece or polemic. This is someone who understands what's happening in our society. Today's elite instantly demand an apology for any statement that they dislike. And we've seen that, haven't we? They consider what one does not condemn must be taken to accept. But they have failed to understand that that places them in a difficult position. A little time ago, and I've edited this a bit, 
but you, you, you might have heard of this. In um, a marriage rally in, in Melbourne, a sign was put up, burn churches, not gays. And a few days later, on a church in Victoria, in Melbourne, again, Baptist church, it was painted, it was, um, graffiti was put up, saying, crucify, no voters. And he says, the cro and another one said, believe it or not, it actually said the cross is a swastika. That's how much people are, are, are now opposed, the elites and, and those who hold these hard views are opposed to the truths of Christ, of grace, of the wonderful glories of the Bible. This, and he goes on to say, this summons up remembrance that the last organisation in the West with any power to burn places of worship was the Nazi regime. He's not saying that we're under Nazis, but he's saying that if we're actually talking about burning churches, if we're actually talking about crucifying those who choose to oppose the new orthodoxy, it's getting scary. And the fact that that regime moved quickly from burning Jewish synagogues in November 1938 to destroying the attendees of synagogues soon after in their millions. These aren't my views, this is in a mainstream national newspaper, the words of a High Court judge who understands what is actually happening on, on our culture. A related catch cry commonly heard is why don't religious people stop forcing their opinions on everybody else? And he says this is a call for what in Germany in the 1940s would have been called a compulsory inner emigration. Now I don't intend to read the whole of his address and I assure you it's not so utterly doom laden because he talks about other realities and he ends on a hopeful note. A note. But I, I, I could give you, I could tell you what I think the numbers are going to be on certain votes and I will come to something like that at the end. I could tell you my opinions of what might happen in Tasmania when we face a state election next year, probably in March. We'll, state, we'll face a federal election probably next year where the Turnbull government and whatever the outcomes are of some of the policies will be put to get test against Bill Shorten. But I think it's more important that as Christians we keep our eye on those things but we fix our true heart on Jesus and on what's really happening. Yes or no, yes or no, in 11 days, make no mistake, we face an anti-family, pro-gay revolution. Freedoms woven into our way of life are rapidly unravelling, like a, a sweater that's been torn apart, as one commentator described it. And we must recognise this. I don't normally say this as strongly, but I, I, I recognise the, the strength and the understanding of the audience here today. We must recognise that above all, and this is partly informed from uh, a recent conference I went to with Josh Dales and um, his now fiancé, um, in Cambridge University at the Wilberforce Academy, where we're talking to people from the UK who are further down the track of this revolution, we must recognise first and foremost, that the forces, the views, the opinions and the values of the so-called sexual revolution that are now coming to flower in the most hideous, poisonous ways, 
are a direct and demonic attack on Christianity itself. That's all, that, that they are nothing less than that. Now, whether every person who um, I'm not suggesting that every person who chooses to vote yes in a postal plebiscite is directly driven by demonic attack, but that make no mistake, that is exactly what is happening around the Western world and particularly in the Anglosphere. The Reformation, the jewels of it the fruits of it, the flowers of it, the human flourishing of it is being torn apart and it's being cut down like a chainsaw. It really is. So it's no surprise, is it, then, that Christian freedoms have been challenged, even in our own state. And I've just got seven things to mention and I'll, I'll point me later on to our publications that you can sign up for a, a free six-month subscription too, if you don't already do that. I'm taking some of these from a couple of uh, papers that we've got specifically on freedom and specifically how we can live with hope in these challenging times. But there's seven things. Freedom of speech has been threatened, even here in Tasmania. Who's heard about the anti-discrimination issue that the Archbishop faced here? Who's also heard about the anti-discrimination challenges the good folk of Cornerstone Church are facing? where Pastor Campbell Markham has had a blog, a blog, that he put on the internet in 2011 about homosexuality, hauled before a kangaroo court to say this is offensive. It's only a step away from your Bible study. It's only a step away from the sermons that we listen to, from the truths that we hold dear. Again, we don't want to be alarmist, we don't want to be frightened, but we must be we must face the facts and be real about it. Number two, parental rights usurped. We've all heard of the, the horrors of the Safe Schools Coalition and the educational programs. Parents didn't even know their kids were being taught this stuff. The education bill that was written here in Tasmania, when Trev and myself and others assessed it, it, it read like a communist manifesto, where the state it actually said, it actually said the state has the prime rule over deciding what's best for the children. That doesn't sound like Australia. That doesn't sound like the, the Western world. It reads like Stalag Luft Tasmania, doesn't it? It's different. Number three, the independence of professionals has been undermined. If you're a doctor and you don't agree with abortion, you have to, by law, provide people an avenue to the services that would do such thing. You, you would be in your own conscience, you would be deemed complicit with that. The independence of good professionals has been undermined. The autonomies uh, of religious bodies has been threatened. Freedom of conscience has been squashed. Violence and threats have actually been directed at Christians. Do you know that people who were holding up placards saying, it's okay to vote no, nothing hateful, just a statement. One guy had it ripped out of his arm and he nearly broke his wrist in one of the states. People have been beaten up, people have been threatened. Anyone speaking to some of you earlier, if you wear a badge that even declares it's okay to vote no, you can be on the end of incredible hatred. The times have changed. Number seven, Christians are even held responsible for suicides among same-sex attracted youth. 
Now, we all know that there are times when the church needs to be more gracious than we perhaps have been with those who don't agree with us. We do need to love our enemies, but we are not what the elites say that we are. But we must recognise this is the way it is. So mainstream now in Christian thought is this being, this isn't the, uh, as a, a family voice type, uh, our organisation would be perceived, oh look at scaremongering, they're on it again, these things aren't really happening. Last week in Eternity magazine, which goes to hundreds of churches, thousands of churches, newspaper, the, um, a man called, let me get it right, Wybo Nikolai, who was releasing, he's from Open Doors, he was releasing the World Watch Report, which tells you about which countries are facing Christian persecution. He actually said that he thinks that in a decade, Australia could be in that list. That Europe very likely will be. That when they look at the trajectory of the restrictions that we're actually facing in our faith, in um, our actions, in our schools, that we're on the trajectory to become a persecuted church and that we might need help from open doors. Well, that's a bit heavy, isn't it? I'm sorry. That's not deliberately to make you feel bad, especially after the wonderful meal that we've had. But wait a moment. Wait a moment, because dessert is coming. <laughs> when we've had the savoury, and sometimes the bitter reality, and the different flavours of what we're facing, sometimes we need a sweetener, don't we? It's been very dark. So what hope do we have? And what should we do? Well, the first thing that I've been reminding Christians of as I visit churches around our state and even speaking to people overseas, the first thing that we must remember as followers of Jesus is that God's people have been here before. We've been here before. We need a new reformation. We need to take seriously the hope that we have in Jesus Christ for salvation, for healing, for change, for those who have chosen a lifestyle that doesn't honour or reflect the way that God made them, but also for society-wide transformation. We need to embrace Jesus' lordship. We've talked about that, haven't we? It's one of the core tenets of the Reformation and how it, it impacted places like Geneva. It's lordship over all things. Unlike God's people, like Daniel, who boldly chose to stand for God's loving truth and shine his light. Daniel was like a coal, not a candle. Jesus says that you're the light of the world. When the breeze comes as the, the, the doors of persecution might open, what will happen to your light? Are you like a candle? Will you flicker? Will you be snuffed out by the winds and the storms of change? Or are we like coals? Like Daniel, who's ever seen a coal fire, who's ever fanned um, a bushfire, something like that, when the wind comes it makes it stronger, the coal burns up and it, 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 God's strength of his Holy Spirit can strengthen us, that particularly together we make a much brighter light. We must remember that, we must be coals, not candles. We need to pray, come what may, yes or no, we need to pray. We need to live with open windows like Daniel did, bold enough 
to not be afraid of what others think, not be afraid of the threat of prosecution. We need to love our enemies. We can also work to oppose evil and proactively work to shape society in our own spheres. In my work, that includes impacting the churches as I go and speak and hopefully encourage and bolster and uplift and motivate Christians and then you know, get, let you have dessert afterwards. But we also speak to politicians. And we, we need to boldly stand. They're not listening like they used to do. They're not listening like they used to do. But that shouldn't stop us. Speaking up for the truths that shape the Western world. The truths that are woven into creation. Politically, Christians can and should and must oppose the moves for euthanasia. As, as I've said, it may become... That bill might be passed in Victoria. It would send appalling ripple effects. Let's pray it doesn't happen. Let's pray this weekend that there's a miracle in the, in the Victorian upper house and they reject destroying those that God made. Let's pray that. We need to promote true freedoms in the parliament and the courts, especially religious freedom. During this marriage uh, ongoing debate, we could call it a battle, prefer not to. We've discovered, many people have started to understand that actually religious freedom is, is not woven into or enshrined in Australian law. We all think there's this immense religious freedom that's just part of our society. If you were at the presentation in Utah's um, a few weeks ago, Kevin Andrews has done an analysis of this when he was part of an, a, a parliamentary inquiry. We've got some of the lowest, lowest coverages for religious freedom in the Western world. So we need to argue, and Family Voice as, um, as part of our strategy, are setting a stall to help reform and to hopefully persuade politicians of this, to reform religious freedom laws in three ways. To make sure that we have freedom for individuals, not just institutions. The draft same-sex marriage bill that Dean Smith, the rebellious liberal um, senators put together, has one religious exemption, one. That if you're a church, you don't have to celebrate a same-sex wedding. Nothing else. Nothing else. If you have a wedding venue and you, you don't want to host a same-sex wedding, there's no exemption in that current paper for you. If, you. if you're a caterer, there's no exemption for you. If you're someone who doesn't want to operate with someone who um, promotes the absolute op opposite of what you believe, there, there are no exemptions currently. Now if the um, Yes campaign does win, let me assure you, there are many good people who are working to look at exempt whole scale exemptions. But we can't live by exemption because exemptions can be taken away. The second one is that freedom would be for your public life, not just your private life. Currently, well, that's okay. Well, you believe that's okay. You believe that you, you can do that. You can have that at home. But don't you dare bring that view into your business. Don't you dare bring that view into offering services. We haven't got these things enshrined in law. The third one is to promote parental rights and freedoms. 
a concept that, as uh, I said, even in our own Education Act in Tasmania has been lost, and that's under a Liberal government. Granted, it was probably formed by a, a, an education department that had, let's say, different views to what many of us would hold, but it, that is a profound challenge now in the UK. And we actually met a couple who'd pulled their children out of school because they were having transgender ideology foisted on them when the kids were aged six. Six. We also need to work to publicise the consequences of redefining marriage for the wider Australian culture. I want to celebrate, um, we'll, I'll be finished in a moment, I want to celebrate what some of you have done here in the marriage campaign. Do you know there's been a national prayer movement and two or three times a day online, people have been getting online praying for, for Australia's future, for our nation, every day. Our friend, three times, our friend Marguerite. Yeah, and, and that's, that's starting to, to grow. Door knocking. I don't want to embarrass her, but our friend Marguerite, who's a neighbour of ours, is one of... Are you number five or number six now? Number four. She's number four highest of all the door knockers in terms of how many steps and how many doors she's knocked on in Tasmania. So no, no, no. Nationally. Nationally. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> We've had phone hubs, haven't we, in people's houses. We've had rallies, we've had social media, we've had brilliant opinion pieces. The people of God have risen up and we have shone our light. And so what do I believe is going to happen? Is it going to be yes or is it going to be no, Jim? Well, it depends who you listen to, doesn't it? If you listen to the opinion polls, which vary, people say between 60 to 70% towards a yes a yes vote, that we will vote as a nation, as a people's vote, to redefine marriage. But is that right? You may have seen that um, just recently at Griffith University, some boffins have analysed social media traffic, and they've done this before. They've gone through, um, I think, half a million tweets from Twitter. How do you do? I don't, I don't even need to know. But they've done this process before and they've gone down and analysed whether the, the people's opinion, because they believe that people would more bravely and honestly share their opinion on a tweet than they might do when someone rings them up and says, you know, are you against um, marriage equality or whatever they might ask. They say, and they predict, a small no victory. I'm hugely heartened by that. I'm even more heartened by the fact that we must remember that the first thing for Christians when we're involved in politics is that politics is never the first thing for Christians. Jesus is. Jesus is. And people have been faithfully praying and appealing to the Lord that he will make a difference. Will it be yes or will it be no? Will it be yes or will it be no? Yes or no, we need a new reformation. Yes or no, we need to remember that the first thing for Christians is Jesus. Yes or no, we must ask God to awaken us and awaken his church. And yes or no, both of us, me and you, all of us, must choose to live faithfully like Daniel, with open windows, no matter what lions we may face. We might win this battle, but there'll be another and another.
And whatever happens, yes or no, all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And my urge to you in this day and in the days to come is don't let yourself be a candle that could be snuffed out by the, the, the winds of culture. Let yourself be a coal and let God's pneuma, his Holy Spirit breath, strengthen you and let us form a holy fire in love so that God's loving truth can take hold of Australia and be spread around the world as it should be, the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. Please indulge me. I'm going to pray for a moment and then we're going to enjoy dessert. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the encouragement to hear the truths of your word taking hold of people's lives. Father, we don't know what's going to come in the future, but we know who holds the future. Be with us as we enjoy the rest of this food together and this evening. Thank you, Father. Amen.